God to bless our time as we go to his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have come to us, that you have cleared all the barriers or sin, and you've reached down to us. And you provide for us exactly what we need in Christ. And so we come today to celebrate that truth and that fact. And our desire is to live in it, to allow it to form and to shape our lives, to fight against the sin that's there, to transform our hearts so that we see and we think and we care as Jesus did. We confess that we need that help, and so that's why we're here. So, Father, guide us this morning as we look at your scripture Use it to illuminate our minds and to transform our hearts. Use the relationships that we have as a result of this community of believers to sharpen each other as well and send us out as your people prepared. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to open your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to look at the last few verses of this chapter. Last week, if you were here, we looked earlier in this chapter. We looked at that when Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, who happens to be the one who formed, framed, wrote this particular gospel uh, for us. And so we looked at that in particular. And today we're going to look at these last few verses that we have in this particular chapter. 35. I'm going to read through the first few verses of, of chapter 10. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, and I'll stop there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to this passage this morning, just a a reminder as we looked at the calling of the tax collector of Matthew last week, it was a reminder as we looked at that as a picture of God's heart his missional heart. As, as Jesus came, he went to the outcast, right? The, the, the one who is lowest in the social ladder there, the one who didn't belong in the kingdom. He went to him and he didn't just invite him into the kingdom. He invited him to be a disciple, to be a follower. And we see and we get a glimpse of God's heart there. As we think about the book of Matthew and we looked as an overview, we saw that there's some themes that Matthew has written through it that he wants the church to see and understand. The one is fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, that he is the one who comes to complete what God intended to do. He is the king who's come and establishes the kingdom of God. The second theme we saw was discipleship, that as Matthew writes, he wants the church to know, what does it look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? 
And then thirdly was this picture, this theme of the kingdom of God. And we, we looked particularly at the wideness and the generosity of the kingdom that Matthew wants to display from beginning to end, that God came to display his generosity, to call all those who don't belong and those who understand that they don't belong are the ones that do belong in the kingdom. And so we, saw Ma- we see Matthew the tax collector and we see many others who are called into the kingdom, the wideness and the generosity of the kingdom. In the section 8 and 9 of which this passage we're looking at, we see that there's just this series of events, these series of accounts where Jesus is doing these extraordinary supernatural deeds. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He calms the storms. He forgives sins. He heals the blind. And we see him doing these incredible works, displaying his authority indeed over everything. Every facet of creation, we see him exercising his power. And bracketed around eight and nine are two teaching sections. Five through seven, which is the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 10, are these sections of teaching that display his power and his authority in word as he teaches the the people said who is this one who has this authority to speak and as we come to the conclusion of this section in the verses 35 to 38 we see it's a transitional kind of passage and it begins to wrap up what's taken place as jesus has made his circuit throughout galilee and healing and teaching and he's beginning to send his disciples out to prepare them to go out to on a mission and the mission that he's going to send them on. And the narrative begins to move on. And the next block of teaching has this theme of mission. 35 through 38, these verses for us. Perhaps if you've been around the church over a period of time, you would have heard them. They're a familiar passage. As we, as we catch the heart of Jesus here, it gives us a, a little look into what he sees and how he thinks. And what we see here is it's drenched with the missional and compassionate heart of Jesus. Just like in the the calling of Matthew where he goes to this one on the outskirts, the one on the lowest social rung, we see, we get a picture of what makes Jesus tick. What he lives for, why he has come, and who he has come for. As we get a picture of how he sees the people around him. This passage also, it's not just about Jesus because it is centrally, but it's also about us. Because the passage implicates us. It involves us. We don't just get to read this and kind of sit idly by, passively, seeing what Jesus saw and seeing what he felt. He calls his followers in to do something about what is real, the real predicament, the real situation of of humanity. He implicates us, the twelve initially, but then by implication the rest of us, those who have followed Christ down through the ages, who hear these words, we find that Jesus calls us in to do something about it, to be a part of the solution, to plead with the Lord of the harvest. Essentially what Jesus does is he, he takes his arms and he, he puts them around our shoulders and he pulls us in. He says, I want you to be a part of this solution of what I am doing. I want you to be a part of my mission. Don't stand on the outside. Come in. And he pulls us in, if you will, to his huddle to involve us in his plan. I have a couple preface statements as we look at this passage this morning that I just need to say. And at least it's helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. First of all, in selecting this passage this morning, you need to know that this passage is, I selected it for me. That this sermon this morning is for me. 
I, I could have chose about anything to preach on, and this was one as I've thought and looked at my own life and reading through the scriptures that I saw a particular need in my life to hear these words and to see this. And so I hope it helps you too. I trust that it will be helpful as we look at this. The second thing, though, it needs to be said as we look at this passage, it's been used a lot of times. It has a tendency to be used in lots of settings and can be used, if you will, to beat people over the head spiritually. It can be used, the the weight of this passage can, I believe, be misused in ways. I want to be careful this morning. Used in ways, certainly, to to bring about good things, missions, right? Evangelism, to to reach the lost, and and to kind of to push and to to help motivate God's people to do that. And and yet sometimes its weight can be misused. It can can not just weigh on us in a heavy way. It can kind of bury us in these kinds of ways. And so I have experienced that personally in this particular passage Phrases like, if you really cared like Jesus, you would do X or Y, or you would do this, or is Jesus really worth it? You would, you would live like this. I don't think the intentions are wrong, but sometimes the methodology is, and it becomes kind of centered around us. And so, I want to reframe some things as we look at this passage. With that said, I want my hope for us is, is that we would hear and feel the weight of the passage, because it is a, a weighty passage. It does call us to live in a certain kind of way, but I hope that we won't be buried by it. But to be internally and intrinsically drawn towards the shepherd and towards his mission, and to be drawn towards him in a particular kind of way in light of our own station in life, in light of where we are, where we are providentially, where he has placed us, and to realize that, that he, he's going to involve us in his way. And so we want to hear these words and allow it to rest on us. So those are my two preface statements. I also want to just do kind of a quick kind of orienting statement, which if you've been a part of grace, this will not be a surprise to you or, or seem strange to you, but I want to make the statement because it'll be helpful for me as we look at this passage. As we think about the, the vast kind of picture and the arc of Scripture that we find that this picture of Christ, what he sees and what he calls us to, is one dot on the line that demonstrates the, the mission of God from beginning to end. That, that as we read to, from, through scripture from beginning to end, that there's this, this, this trajectory that God is present and he is active in mission, that our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is on a mission to save the lost, to reveal his glory. And that means that, that when we read scripture, the most effective way to read it, interpret it, to understand it, to apply it is with this lens that, that God is a God who is on a mission to bring glory to himself and the redemption of his people. I have one quote to read from you from a book called The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. As he, the thesis of this book is this idea that the, 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 the trajectory of scripture is this mission that God is on. He writes, the whole Bible is itself a missional phenomenon. The writings that now comprise our Bible are themselves the product of and witness to the ultimate mission of God. The Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. The Bible is the drama of this God of purpose 
engaged in a mission of achieving that purpose universally, embracing past, present, and future, Israel and nations, life, the universe, and everything, and with its center, its focus, its climax, and completion in Jesus Christ. And this is his final point. Mission is not just one of the list of things that the Bible happens to talk about, only a bit more urgently than some mission is what it's all about. His point, as we understand the scriptures to understand them, is to recognize that God is a God of mission. And, and this passage reminds us of that. And as we read it, we need to be reminded of that. Because as we see that, we're told that God is accomplishing something. But his desire is also to involve us in the process. To enable us to participate with him in his restoration of all things. Namely, the redemption of his sheep. So what we're going to do this morning as we look at this passage, it's a very simple outline, uh, which is nice when you're writing a sermon to have the breakdown, it's there. We're going to look at what Jesus saw, we're going to look at what Jesus felt, and we're going to look at what Jesus did. What he saw, what he felt, and what he did, and we're going to ask the question, what do we do with that? What do we do with what he saw, he felt, what he did? And as we do that, as we think about being disciples, we think about following Jesus, we need to be reminded that, that in some way our lives are shaped by him. That, that what he saw, felt, and did will shape us, should form us, should in, in change the way that we live. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This describes the general, it's a summary of what he did in his circuit through Galilee and what he did. It tells us a, a picture of what he, of what he was up to. His program, the categories of ministry that he was a, a part of. This particular verse, if you like the literary framework of a book, if you go back to 423, you'll see you have almost exactly the same words that are used as it frames a section for us prior to the Sermon on the Mount in this section as he prepares to give his teaching on mission. It, it frames for us this section, but it tells us this program of Jesus that we see that he did essentially three things as he, as he did his ministry. He taught in the synagogues, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed. Three different things. It tells us about what he did as he went about traveling about Galilee. He taught, he, he helped people understand things they didn't understand. He informed them of the things that were true. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, which means he, it was a declaration of what's true. He just said, this is true. The kingdom has come and it's come in me. And then he healed. He addressed the needs of various human conditions that he came across and by the way, as we think about a Jesus-shaped ministry in our lives, this provides a helpful guide for us as well. We certainly won't teach or proclaim or heal in the same way that Jesus did, but it provides a model for us as a church to say, what is it that we do? What is it that we're about? That's what we do. We teach, we instruct, we, we want to proclaim and declare the truth of, of the gospel of the kingdom, and then we want to address the needs of broken humanity within and without the church. And so that gives us this picture. But then in verse 36, the, 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 this description goes on and it tells us what Jesus saw. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We have this powerful 
transparent picture of what Jesus saw and how he felt about what he saw, how he responded. It says that he saw the crowds, that the mass of humanity around him, he, he saw them. Last week in, in, in his calling of Matthew, we saw that he saw Matthew specifically in a particular kind of way. He, he saw him and he sought him out. In this case, we see that he saw only as the Son of God too. He saw the crowds. He didn't just see a bunch of people. He saw the souls of men and women. And he saw them in a particular kind of way. And he gives us two descriptions that tell us about the reality, the condition of humanity. It says he saw them that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And the two go together to help us understand even more in a profound way of what's true of people. Harassed and helpless. Uh, we get the picture there, right? They're distressed. They're, they're downcast, right? They're oppressed. They're bullied. It's a description of those who are helpless and perhaps don't even know it. They don't even know their true condition. Blown and tossed, pushed around, pushed over. Like sheep without a shepherd helps us as well. As we add to that, this picture, we see that, that, that this, this imagery of sheep without a shepherd is a, is a tragic position to be in, right? Sheep have no natural way to defend themselves. They are completely vulnerable. They're subject to all kinds of predators, right? They're not especially fast. They don't have fangs. They don't have, they don't have claws. They have no way to really to defend themselves. To be downcast as a sheep is a bad place to be. To be turned over on your side or on your back means that you have no power to stand upright. For a sheep that's turned over, they, they can't get up, they need help, and indeed another sheep can't come along and help them. It's a, it's a bad place to be. Indeed, to be there is to be completely vulnerable in that place. They can't find food on their own. It's a bad place, and Jesus, as he sees them, he sees they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I found this article by from uh, Tim Challies' blog. Uh, he, read, he came across a, an article in a paper in Qatar. Uh, this I'm just going to read just a couple paragraphs of this. As he writes, the title of the article that he found was 400 Sheep Fall Off a Cliff in Turkey. He writes, Perhaps it was just a slow day for news, or perhaps something about the story tickled the fancy of an editor. Or maybe sheep are critical to the economy of Qatar. So this was big news. Who knows? But for some reason, the publication decided to provide a small snippet about something that happened in Istanbul. Here's the complete text of the article. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van Province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Newspaper reports said yesterday, shepherds from Ikhizler village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The Radical Daily said the loss to the local farmers was estimated at $74,000. (laughs) Did you get the article? Did you see what's going on? The the shepherds are doing what? They're having breakfast. They're drinking coffee. And what do the sheep do? They follow another sheep. And where does that sheep lead them? Over a cliff. 400 fall. 
they, they pad the, and they all die. The other 100, 1100 fall upon them, we assume, and they survived. Such that 400 sheep following a sheep fall to their death. We see the predicament that sheep are in when they follow other sheep. Indeed, while the shepherds are eating breakfast, while the shepherds are drinking coffee, not attending to the sheep, this is what happens. Jesus, as he addresses the people of Israel here, we find as well the sheep without a shepherd. We find that it describes, it's kind of an indictment on the shepherds who were supposed to be watching them, that they did not care for them. They indeed only added weight to them. They didn't help bring life. They only brought death. Uh, the section around Ezekiel 34 that I read earlier in our, in our call, in our worship time, describes shepherds who only are care, only care about feeding themselves. And so as Jesus saw these sheep who had no shepherd, he felt compassion on them. As we think about the crowds today, the mass of humanity as we look around, we, we see the same is true. As sheep follow other sheep, it's not a good place to be. As sheep will follow other sheep, they inevitably will find themselves to a cliff and, and fall off and follow by the droves. You see, people are being led by false ideas and empty and baseless assertions and hollow promises that our world would offer, that would lead away from the shepherd. People of places where you would find life, where to find food, where you can find protection, who you can really trust in, that the messages of our society, the messages around us are offered here. But even the smartest, even the strongest sheep who attempt to lead are, are limited by their own finitude. They're they're deceived by their own sin. They're, they're, they're blinded by their own pride and they don't even see it. And so as a result, many follow. Claiming to be wise, they've shown themselves to be fools. Following them and their misguided ideas is a path ultimately to destruction. So as Jesus saw the crowds then, as we see the crowds today, the same is true. To be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd is to be on a trajectory towards death. Perhaps the, the sheep without a shepherd, the picture might be humorous or, or lighthearted as it's applied to sheep, but it's tragic when it's applied to people created in the image of God with souls bound for eternity. And so Jesus saw them and he saw the reality of their condition. By the way, the, the phrase sheep without shepherd should remind us of something that there is a shepherd. That there is a shepherd that is, that is present. And the, the whole message, if you will, the, of the New Testament is that the shepherd has come. In fact, if you go turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, in the early parts of this, as he is laying down the, the prophecy as Jesus is born, it tells us about him. 2 verse 6, this prophecy from, from Micah chapter 5 in Matthew 2 6 tells us, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of all the rulers in Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. If you turn back to the passage, we won't right now, but in Ezekiel chapter 34, again, a reminder that God says, I will shepherd my people. I will feed them. I will protect them. I will call them. And so here we see the shepherd 
is present. The chief shepherd has come and he's gathering his sheep. And need I remind us that those who have placed their faith in Christ, who are following him or his disciples, are no longer sheep without a shepherd. That we're still sheep, we're still dumb, we're still prone to all kinds of problems, we're still helpless, but we're his sheep. And he's promised to care for us and to shepherd us. We're still harassed, but we're not helpless. Thinking about this, I was recalling conversation after conversation I've had over the years with people I've had the privilege of, and you have too, of those in difficult circumstances. These kinds of words come off their lips as they would say, I just don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Christ. I just don't know how to respond. I don't know what do I do if I didn't have Christ as my shepherd, as someone who would care for me that I knew was in charge. I was just in a conversation the last couple of weeks with a friend. Yes, that's what it means to be a sheep with a shepherd. It's to know no matter what else is going on, he is in control and he cares for us. We see what Jesus saw. He saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw harassed and helpless We ask the question and we see what it is that he felt. The passage tells us as well that what he saw provoked a kind of emotion that he felt compassion. When he saw the crowds, he saw the reality of their condition, he had compassion for them. His response was to care. Compassion here is a very strong term. In fact, in the Gospels, it's only used about Jesus. And and it's mean to be moved deep down inside. To be moved in one's guts, literally. That the insides are moved as a result of what one sees. And as Jesus sees as only the Son of God can, he is moved with compassion. It's not to be confused with pity, which is just, I feel bad about a person's circumstances. That's fine. But compassion moves further to do something about the condition. Something about the situation. To seek to affect their predicament you see we can best understand the compassion of jesus as we consider what it moved him to do as he saw the plight of fallen humanity of broken humanity of sinful humanity it moved him to act and as we read through the the rest of the gospel story we see that ultimately what he did is that he laid his life down as the chief shepherd so that his sheep would find life, that his life and his death and his resurrection would bring life, that his ultimate act would be to save, that he would lead his sheep to life. And so we see that he would do that ultimately. He saw the deepest and clearest way, the broken and downcast and helpless condition, and he did something about it to solve our problem and to rescue us. But in this case, he he has a different plan. He's going to do that eventually. But here he has a different thing he calls them to do. Something else is here. He calls them to act. He calls them to be a part of the solution. He calls them to pray. He involves his disciples, right? He, He pulls them in. As he saw and he felt compassion, what's he do? He says, you're going to be involved in this. I want you to be a part of this. What did Jesus do? It goes on to say, then he said to his disciples, right? He puts his arms around them and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As a result of what he saw and what he felt, 
Then he called them in. He changes metaphors on us, right? From shepherding to, to harvesting to farming. And he says, the, the harvest is plentiful. The, the, the needs are great. It, it, they're great. You need to see this. And of course, the, the, the harvest he's referring to are people in need of a shepherd, right? Those who need to come under the rule and the reign of this king. People who are harassed and help, helpless. He says, this harvest, the needs are great and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. See, the one thing he calls them to do, the first thing he calls them to do, not the only, the first thing he calls them to do is to pray. To pray to the Lord of the harvest. And some of your versions will say, pray earnestly. And, and, and that's the, the, the term, is, it means to beg or to beseech in light of a great need. In light of what you see, the need is so great, it's so deep, it's so wide. You go, you, you beg for help. It's to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Do something about this. To pray earnestly to this one. See, prayer is the one action called for by Jesus to his disciples. This is the, the one thing. He, first, we need to get this priority. The primary thing in light of the need is to pray. The one thing that will get the, the harvest moving, that will move it along, is to come to the Lord of the harvest and to, to, to pray to Him and to beg to Him to send out laborers. This phrase also, the Lord of the harvest, is, is interesting. It's a, it's a helpful description of God, right? The one who is the master, the one who, who facilitates the harvest of souls. He's the one who's in control. The other way that this can be translated, which might be helpful, is that he's the Lord who is harvesting. He is the one that oversees what's going on. He is the one that's in charge of these things. Pray to him to send out labors into his harvest. What's God doing? Who are the laborers? The laborers are the other sheep who have come to find the shepherd. That God's intentions are to use us in the process of praying and in being a part of the labor force to gather in the harvest. That he is the one who sovereignly oversees this. He is the one that oversees the fruit. He's the one that sends out the laborers. He's the one who will bring about the harvest. It's his. But Jesus calls us to pray. What did Jesus do? He, he saw the crowds, he saw their need, and he calls his followers to step in to be a part of this. He saw the needs, he had compassion for them, and he called us, he charges us, his followers, to be a part of solving that by praying. What's our response? How, how do these words, how does this section weigh upon us? What impact should it have upon us? Well, if discipleship has something to do with the life and pattern of Christ being formed upon us, we can follow the same pattern. That it will change us, to be formed and conformed to the image of the Master, to respond in the same way that He did. I have five short responses for us this morning. First of all, how do we respond to this? By by remembering what it's like to be sheep without a shepherd. By remembering what it's like to be sheep without a shepherd. What was life like? For those of you who've come to Christ later in life, you can remember what it meant, what it was like to try to set your own course, to, to tend for yourself, to care for yourself, to deal with your own sin, your own problems. 
For those of you who've grown up in the church, who've, 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 who've known Christ throughout your life, it's still not hard, right? We've all had seasons where we as His sheep have sought to live without Him as a shepherd. I want to live my life without Him. He's kind of burdensome. And I've made decisions. I've come close to the cliff. I have lived my life by my own values, my own design. And in so doing, I've tasted what it's like to live my life as sheep instead of shepherd. So consider and reflect upon that, what it would be like. It's been said that you can't commend what you don't cherish. As you cherish Jesus as your shepherd, you will, it will you'll enable you, it will motivate you, us, to commend him. So think about that. Secondly, seek to have eyes to see the deeper reality in the lives of people. Seek to have eyes to see the deeper reality in the lives of people. We all know this, right? We, we, we see the surface, we see the outside of people, and we judge oftentimes what we see first and foremost. Jesus says there's more going on than meets the eye. And a part of our lives as followers of Him is asking Him to help us to see what's going on in the lives of others. What's below the surface. What's beyond the cover of the book to understand what's happening there. To ask God to help us. You see, we're so preoccupied with ourselves, with getting what we need to be done, with thinking about ourselves that it's difficult to, to see what's really going on. And, and we're so busy as well. I, like I said, this sermon's for me. This last week I was writing, I was preparing for this sermon, and I was telling Ryan Randolph this. Um, that I got I had a couple phone calls from kind of mercy needs, compassion needs. And I'm just like, Dang it, don't they know I'm trying to write a sermon? <laughs> you know, I'm trying, trying to, I'm like, oh my goodness. It, it, we need to stop and slow down and go, okay, Lord, help me to see, to think, help me to, to, to grasp the way you do, and I need you to help me to do that. So see what the deeper reality of people. Thirdly, cultivating a heart of compassion. To seek to care. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets hard. This is where it gets risky. This is where it hurts to care. To, pity is fine. Oh, I feel kind of bad. But, but compassion pulls us in to be a part of the situation, to try to help to step into the situation. As we seek to care for others, as we see the true condition, we'll experience a fair amount of pain and care as a result. And there's a kind of risk that's there as we see it's deeper, it's more profound than what we can do anything about. And we begin to be connected with that and exposed to that. That's what compassion is. This, this last week I had a, another kind of encounter. I don't know why this happens in these kinds of weeks. And I'm at, at, a, at, a, at a store and I'm, there's a person I'm kind of waiting, waiting on a on pain to be shaken. I'm talking with someone, this, this, this gal, and she begins to just tell me about her life. She just kind of just just begins to kind of dump the truck right there as the, the as the pain is shaking and and she's sharing about her life and I'm realizing real quick that there's a lot there there's a lot of need there and and, and she just she's she's kind of going on and sharing about her life I'm going wow you know I, I kind of just need my paint and I'll kind of go you know but I'm sitting there I'm just going wow what what can I say I'm really I'm thinking I'm going what can I say to this person and I, I'm you know kind of going. What, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do kind of thing? And, and nothing came. I, I didn't know what to say. 
I'm like, I would think, what's the the perfect phrase to say? What can I do to to really care for this woman? I I couldn't come up with anything except for just to listen and say a few things. I remember walking away after I got my paint and just going, wow, what a need that was there. And it, it brought me to this conclusion. The needs are so great. They're so deep. I wasn't in a position to really address that need. But what could I do as I walked away? I thought about that person. I don't remember her name exactly. I said, Lord, you know. Lord, you know what she needs. It's, I, I can't, in a two-minute conversation, I can't do or give her what she needs. But you can. Compassion enables us to see and draws us in that situation. As we become people who see and experience compassion, that deep-seated hurt and pain of others' brokenness and the need that's there, it'll turn us and enable us to take the next step. And that is to pray, to earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send labors into his harvest. Now that we see this and it all involves us and brings us in, reminds us that it's, it's his harvest. God invites us into his field to be a part of his harvest. As we see and we care and it calls us to pray, to seek to God and to ask him to send out labors. This, of course, doesn't preclude us from being a part of the solution, but the, the priority is prayer. The priority is asking him to meet the need. The priority is to say, Lord, would you do something? Because I know you care so much more than I do. I know that you see so much more than I do. Would you be a part of the solution? And prayer must precede the labor. And the beauty of praying, right, is that there's nothing that will prevent us from praying There's all kinds of barriers that prevent us from from going or stepping into the person's life like in that situation. I I didn't know what to do or to say, but prayer can be accomplished at any time. No matter what our particular gifts are, what our strengths are, what our personalities are, whether we have the gift of evangelism or we've been called here or there, we can pray. And Jesus says, I want you to be involved. He calls us to be involved in this, in, in, in a capacity that we can do at any time, in any place. And this particular passage has been used, and it should be, to tell us about the need for missions and to pray for labors to go to places in the world where the gospel is not. Indeed, it speaks to that. But at the same time, let's not just limit it to that. It means that labors need to go to all different kinds of fields everywhere. And so we pray that God will, be, will send labors to various places. And let's not forget that we might be the answer to someone else's prayer that a labor would be sent in our various places that we go. We might be the the person. We might be one of those labors that has been prayed for to be sent. In the very next section, Jesus does send his disciples out, but not without prerequisite for prayer and saying it's the Lord of the harvest who must accomplish this. And then he gives them instructions as well. And even as we go, as we go in prayer, that it's difficult to understand this harvest and what he is doing and how he is doing it. And we remember that he is the Lord. He is the one who's in charge. And our perspective is that of a sheep. We know just enough, but we trust him. My final application for us as we think about our lives before being a sheep, before having a shepherd, we, we see we feel, we're called to pray, our lives should be formed around that. Finally, we want to reflect on the amazing truth that God has invited us to participate with him in this process. 
reflect on this. Think about this, that God has invited us into his mission. This incredible truth that the shepherd has said, now I want you to be a part of bringing other sheep to me, of to mix our metaphors, I want you to be a sheep that, that picks fruit, okay? To, that helps to harvest the fruit that's my fruit. I want to bring you into this, to, to, to allow that. We don't have to be pushed or bullied into the Great Commission as we understand who He is and what He's called us to. It, it, should, it should overflow in our lives and it will as we see that. But this great picture that He's called us to participate with Him, I'll conclude with a, a story. An illustration, when I was a, a, a boy, I was probably three or four years old as I was thinking about this particular account. It was, I used to love spending time with my grandfather. And, and my grandfather would, would split wood and, 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 and I'd always, you know, I'd want to help him split wood. But what would a three or four year old boy be able to, how could he participate in, in splitting wood? Well, he can't do much except for stay out of the way, right? And as my grandfather would, would, would throw the, the, the sledgehammer down onto the wedge and split the, the wood, I would want to help. And this is what he said, you can help like this. This task is much too big for you, but this is, I want you beside me. I want you to be a part of this. And, <laughs> and he would say, can you, when I exert the effort, I want you to make a noise. I want you to grunt when I throw the, the, the axe, when I, when, I, when I turn that, I want you to grunt. And so here I am, here I am three or four years old as he's throwing the sledgehammer down on the wedge. And I would go, uh, uh. And I would just kind of, I would make noises while he was doing the work. I loved that. I got to be a part of what he was doing. Again, a task I had no business being involved in. But he let me, he brought me in. I hope you see the connection in an even more significant way. This is what Jesus says. The task of the harvest is great. It's more profound. The needs are so deep. What it takes is much more than what you have, but I want you to be a part. As you've experienced it, I want you to come. I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest, and I want you to watch him work. As he works, he will work in your life. As he works in your life, he'll work in the lives of others. And watch him bring about his harvest. And that way you will be able to participate. He says, I'll bring glory to myself. I will accomplish my mission. And you will get to play this role in what I'm doing. Let's pray. I want to... I want to do this as, as we finish. <laughs> I was thinking about this and as, as I'm going to close this in prayer, but as you think about particular fields or people or groups of people where, where laborers need to go, I think we would be amiss if we didn't apply this. And so I want you to take a few moments and, and as you think about those people or those places, I would like you to pray as Jesus has taught us to to the Lord of the harvest and invite him and ask him to send laborers there. So just take a few moments quiet. You can do that. And then then I'll close our time by praying.
Father, how grateful we are that you've called us to be your sheep, that we have a shepherd. Father, remind us of that. Help us to see, help us to care. Father, would you enable us to look to you as the Lord of the harvest? Be at work in our midst, and in this congregation that we would be sent out, we would be prepared to be laborers in the fields that others have prayed for. Would you go with us? Would you mobilize us in a way that only you can? Father, uh, just help us, enable us today to do this well. In Jesus' name we pray.